0: Well, today we're going to continue, really we're going to conclude our series on final events, and this is part 10, the joyful advent of our Lord. What a wonderful thing that we can call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, and so we have gone through, this is the final one here at the bottom, the second coming, and that's what we're going to look at today, but why do we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, and many of you have heard this before. Seventh day is a reference to the Sabbath to, that was given to us at creation, a memorial of creation. And Adventist means we are looking for the advent or the second coming of Jesus. So it's right there in the name, Seventh Day Adventus. The second coming really is what we hope for, Right? It's a literal event, a personal encounter, a visible experience, a worldwide occasion. It's the culmination, if you will, of the plan of salvation. This is what it's all about. This is what it was all for. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Did you know that one in four verses in the New Testament discusses the second coming of Jesus? That's a big deal. We should pay attention. One Bible scholar counted at least 1,500 scriptural references to the second coming. And so I'm going to attempt to look at all 1,500 this morning. Is that okay? (laughs) The Bible is full of promises pointing us to that blessed hope of his return. Because let's face it, we live in a world of turmoil Filled with natural disasters, with fires, with pestilence, with a fluctuating stock market, even just last year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average suffered its worst single day ever in March 9 of last year. We have riots, we have destruction in our cities, we have political unrest, we have moral decline, we have shortages, we have sickness, right? We have illness and disease, we have death, and certainly we have tragedy. And the righteous cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? Friends, this is our blessed hope. Jesus' second advent is certain in a world of uncertainty. Jesus' return is what keeps us going. Jesus' coming is the culmination of the gospel. Jesus is the hope of those fighting sickness, disease, and death. Yes, Jesus is the blessed hope for a lost humanity. I love this verse in John chapter 14, 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Does anybody here have some trouble? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Have you ever had anybody prepare a place for you? just the little thought that you were coming maybe they picked some fresh flowers and put them by the bedside maybe they put a special you know electric blanket in a cold winter night on your bed whatever it was they cooked your favorite meal or favorite food but you felt anticipated expected like they looked forward to your arrival and here Jesus is saying i go to prepare a place can you imagine his excitement and what's the main point of this second coming so we can be together great controversy 299 says the doctrine of the second advent is the very keynote of the sacred scriptures it's the point to restore a lost eden to restore relationship to be together same place not to be separated but to be together Evangelism 2.18, the Lord is coming. This is the good, joyful news which should electrify every soul which should be related in our homes and told to this whom we meet on the street. What more joyful news can be communicated? And so the challenge was given by Frank and Children's Story to all of our kids. Go tell people about heaven. Jesus is coming. The relationship's gonna be restored. There's not gonna be separation any longer. This should electrify us. And so a a quick final review, if I can call it quick. Our first in this series, we talked about the end time prophetic catalyst. And we talked about all these things on this graph. The natural disasters, war, false prophets, pandemics, lawlessness, riots, and you get the picture. And all of it is pushing that needle closer and closer and closer to a national Sunday law. And how when that happens, it's going to be like dominoes. And those things are going to fall and they're going to fall quick. And we're going to have the seven last plagues in the time of Jacob's trouble, Armageddon, special resurrection, deliverance, second coming. All those things are going to fall very, very quickly. Then we talked about the abomination of desolation. And we talked about three different applications of that. The siege of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by pagan Roman Empire. The second application, the union of church and state from 538 to 1798. Then we talked about the end time application, which is, again, this national Sunday law. We talked about the four stages of the Sunday law, and how in phase one, the Sunday is enforced as a day of rest, and so that's okay. We just engage in missionary labor, we're told, but in phase two, you can honor Sabbath, but you must honor Sunday, and that's when people start to receive the mark of the beast because it is forced worship on Sunday. Phase three, it escalates where you can no longer worship on Sabbath but only on Sunday, and you have fines and imprisonments, you can't buy or sell. And finally, in phase four, we have this death decree. We talked also about this new world order, and that the core of this new world order is not a lot of things that we see in the news as much as Protestantism, Catholicism, and spiritualism uniting to go to the kings of all the earth to enforce this universal Sunday law. We also looked at the little time of trouble and put an up, another graph up here. When the, the phase of the Sunday law began, we're in this little time of trouble and that's when we have all those things down below for Sunday worship, call to leave the cities, mark of the beast received, receive and so on. Then we have Jacob's time of trouble. We talked about that period as well. Then we talked about the latter rain and the loud cry. We illustrated that by being clipped into the Holy Spirit, if you will, how there's, without that, there's no chance of survival in this thing. We must be thick with the Almighty, and that there will be no free solo finishers at the end of time. And so here we have another sequence of events. We have the church that's played the harlot. We talked a little bit about that. Jeremiah 1, verse 3, And Jesus bids the church, Return to me. And then we have this call for repentance and true heart conversion. And I want to suggest, here is where we are in this timeline. So we as a church are lacking true heart conversion, but when we have a converted church, we have truly repented of our sins and our sinfulness. That allows Jesus, our high priest, to blot out our sins and allows the outpoint of the latter rain, the Holy Spirit, to fall. And when that happens, we have the times of refreshing that will come from the presence of the Lord. And it will empower the midnight cry of Matthew 25, which is the same as the loud cry of Revelation 18, that will fully ripen the harvest. Probation will close and Jesus will come back. And we saw as soon as the harvest is ripe, Jesus thrusts in his sickle to reap. And so ultimately Jesus is not waiting on popes and presidents. He's waiting for his church. He's waiting for you and for me to humble ourselves and to have true heart conversion. Christ Object Lesson 69, Christ is waiting for longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. So we need to be praying that the fruits of the Spirit will be developed in our lives. Sometimes we get down on ourselves on this, and I'm putting this graph back up that we did already, how it's moving the needle closer and closer to the National Sunday Law, and people will oftentimes say, we need to get ready. But along with that, I see that same needle and those same events showing that God has a converted people on this earth that have the fruits of the Spirit And the more we see things happening that we think Jesus is coming soon out there, the more we can rest assured, maybe not rest assured, but the more we can be encouraged that what God needs to see revealed in his people is coming to pass. He who began a good work in us, he will be faithful to bring it about to completion. And so, these converted people, when they are fully developed the character of Christ in their life, Jesus will blot out our sin. The times of refreshing will come. The empowerment of the loud cry and the midnight cry. The ripening of the harvest. Probation will close and Jesus will come. And so that's what we need, a truly converted heart. We talked about the death decree and all these kind of go together. We looked at various places in Revelation 13. It talks about the United States with Rome. And all of that, Revelation 17, all the ruling powers of the world are of one mind to make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome, it says. In Revelation chapter 12, the dragons raged with a woman, God's church, and went to make a war with the remnant, that is again the death decree. And in Daniel 11, again we see the same end time power, Catholicism, apostate Protestantism, and spiritualism coming together with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, again the death decree. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. And so in Satan's final act of desperation to stop this loud cry message from going forth, he brings about a death decree, but before the day comes to wipe out all of God's people, Michael, or Christ, stands up. And what happens at that moment? What does Michael say when he stands up? He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. These are the words coming from the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And so when the death decree is given Michael will stand up in response of this death decree And probation closes for the world And at that point all classes have been decided Everybody has made up their mind Nobody is on the fence any longer The righteous remain righteous The wicked will remain wicked And this is the close of probation And then there'll be no more martyrdom of God's people Because we're not just playthings of the devil. Revelation 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They will remain faithful to God, even in the face of a death decree. We looked at Jacob's time of trouble, which is also these seven last plagues, and in that we unpack this very simple idea that all the promises made to the people of this world if they'll only conform, if they'll only accept the mark of the beast, that all the promises and things they said they could deliver, they cannot. And while God's people live through this time, they are protected and sheltered and fed by God during this time. And so the message here in Psalm 91, verses 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling so the overarching message of this time is simply in christ we are secure sheltered and safe last time we talked about god's people delivered again in daniel 12 verse 1 at that time michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people this is the close of probation and then there shall be a time of trouble such has never was since there was a nation That's Jacob's time of trouble, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Praise the Lord. Everyone who is found written in the book. We talked about just as Haman moved upon unsuspecting King Asuerus and declared a death decree against the Jews. God worked through Queen Esther and God delivered his people. We looked at this quote from Prophets and Kings 606. And we are not left in doubt as to the issue. Today is in the days of Esther and Mordecai, the Lord will vindicate his truth and his people. Deliverance at midnight. Revelation sixteen, twenty-one says, A great hail from heaven fell upon men. Don't doubt the power of God. Don't doubt what he's able to do when at midnight he can bring about what seems impossible. Seventy five pounds hail from the sky. Joel 2:32 and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call all three are the same group his remnant bible keeping commandment keeping christians they'll be delivered And then Daniel 12, verse 2, finishing the verse, says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame, and everlasting contempt. And we saw how this was talking about not the general resurrection, but hinting at a special resurrection. We see it hinted at in Revelation 1, verse 7 as well. Those who pierced him shall see him return. Matthew 26, verse 64 when Jesus says to Caiaphas and the high priest, that he would, they would see him, see at the right hand of God, coming in the clouds in all his glory. I was thinking about that some more this week, thinking about these verses. Matthew 27, verse 27 and onward. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Then they crucified him. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocked with the scribes and elders and said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. He trusted in God, let him deliver him. Now, if he will have him, it's that group of people, those that persecuted Christ, those that were adamant in destroying God's people that will be raised in the second resurrection and they will behold the coming of this same Jesus. Jesus. Great Controversy 643 tells us louder than the shout crucify him crucify him which rang through the streets of Jerusalem swells the awful despairing wail he is the son of God he is the true messiah. Revelation 6, 15 to 17, and the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Those in Christ are the only ones able to stand. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. There's not going to be much left at that point. The final events are rapid ones, but it sure doesn't take long to break down what took centuries to build. And fire, it's part of the mix. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And you might be saying, now wait a minute, I thought the lake of fire was after the millennium. Here's another one, Jude 1 verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, are set forth as an example. And what happened to them? Psalm 50 verse 3, our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. Speaking of the glory and the majesty of God, friends, if you have sin harbored in your heart, it will be consumed in that moment and so will you. Patriarchs and prophets, she quotes this same verse that we just read. Page 339, it says, When Christ shall come in glory with his holy angels, the whole earth shall be ablaze with the terrible light of his presence. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him. And so again, somebody's asking, I thought the fire that destroyed all the wicked was at the end of the millennium. Revelation nineteen twenty says, In the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. James White, in Review and a Herald, January 21, 1862, he just simply says it this way So if you please, there are two lakes of fire, one at each end of the one thousand years. It's not just fire on the back end, there's fire on the front end. It's not the fire that takes forever and ever and ever for them to be consumed, that's not it, it's so hot you can't quench it and poof, but when you're standing in the presence of a holy God, you better have Jesus, you better have forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. You better have relationship with Jesus. You better be surrendered to Jesus because if not, if in that moment you're going to do it your way, you will be consumed. The Upward Look, 261, it says, In the day of his coming, the last great trumpet is heard and there's a terrible shaking of earth in heaven. The whole earth, from the loftiest mountains to the deepest mines, will hear. Everything will be penetrated by fire. This is the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11 where Jesus comes. Continuing, it says, the tainted atmosphere will be cleansed by fire, the fire having fulfilled its mission, the dead that have been laid away in the grave will come forth, some to resurrection of life, speaking of this special resurrection, to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and some to behold the coming of him whom whom they have despised and whom they now recognize as the judge of all the earth. Continuing, all the righteous, however, and here's the good news, are untouched, By the flames. You thought I was becoming a Baptist preacher. I was going to scare you into heaven. That's not the case. For the righteous. And how are we righteous? For those whose lives are hid in Christ. They're untouched by the flames. They can walk through the fire as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked in the midst of the furnace heated seven times hotter. The Hebrew worthies could not be consumed. Why? Because the form of the fourth, the Son of God, was with them. So in the day of the coming of the Lord, smoke and flame will be powerless to harm the righteous. Those who are united with the Lord will escape unscathed. Joel 3.16, And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. I just love the parallels that we have for In Time and Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel 3, you have a universal world leader. He's setting up a counterfeit image. And the dimensions of that image are 60 and 6. And there is a command to worship. And it's enforced by a death decree. But you have three Hebrews that stand for God and they're tried, and they're bound, it says in the text, and they are thrown into the fire, but they do not perish. Even in this picture, those that are throwing them in, they lose their lives, but not the three Hebrews. Why? Because the Son of God is with them, because they are united with the Lord, and as a result, they escape the flames, and they are unscathed. Friends, at the end of time, when Jesus comes in all of his glory and in a consuming fire, those united with him will stand. Praise the Lord. And so what are some of the characteristics of his coming? And this is oftentimes what we talk about in our series. We'll touch, in our evangelistic series oftentimes, we'll touch on this briefly. Acts 1 verse 9, it says, And when he had spoken these things, While they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, literally, right? Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. How did Jesus go into heaven? Flesh and blood, body. Not some spirit, but he left in a cloud, and they watched it happen. He's going to come in a like manner. So a real Christ ascended, a real Christ will descend, and so this is an event in history. Creation of the world was an event in history. Christ's death was an event in history, and his coming will be an exact event in history. So truth's about Christ's coming. Christ's coming is a literal event. You know these things, but we're going to review them anyway. Christ's coming is a personal event. Maybe this is one of my favorites. We already looked at John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. That's personal. Don't tell me that the Son of God that came in the flesh and died for you and me doesn't take this personal. He doesn't send somebody. And we think, oh, we've waited so long. Here's the patience of the saints, right? The ten virgins, and when there was not a delay, and they all fell asleep, who's been waiting longer than anyone else? Jesus has. No, it's intensely personal. And this picture too, Revelation 21, verse four, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. How many people have wiped tears from your eyes? You probably turned away. You wiped them yourself. There's only a few people in your sphere. But Jesus says, I'll wipe the tears away from your eyes. Me, myself. But it's not just that. But as I'm wiping them away, I say to you, there'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall be any more pain, for the former things have passed away personal great controversy 646 says upon the heads of the overcomers by god's grace may that be all of us upon the heads of the overcomers jesus with his own right hand scars in those hands right places the crown of glory For each there is a crown bearing his own new name, referring to Revelation 2, 17, and the inscription, holiness to the Lord. What will that moment feel like when the Son of God has a crown in his hand with your new name, and he comes over, and you're looking, where's he going? And there's nobody but you. And he's gonna place the crown on your head. You better believe this is personal. Revelation 4.10 talks about the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and we're created. I imagine our response will probably be something like that. What are you putting the crown on me for? It was you. It all was you. It's always been you. There's nothing without you. And he said with his rich musical voice, my son, my daughter, probably call you by name, your sorrows are ended. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor cry, nor there shall be any more pain. And I saw the redeemed hosts bow and cast their glittering crowns at the feet of of Jesus it's going to be personal we also know that Christ's coming is going to be a visible event we know it's going to be an audible event we know Christ's coming brings a resurrection Christ's coming is going to be glorious and we know this is going to be climactic and we could look at verses for all of those but there's a few that we can look at that will pretty much sum up all of it Revelation 1 verse 7 behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him you're not going to miss it You're not going to somehow sleep through it. And then Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. Great Controversy 641 says, His countenance outshine the dazzling brightness of the noonday sun. Have you ever got a flashlight or something and you thought it was really cool but you have to wait until it's dark to use it Or you have to find a really dark room. Because if you're going to impress somebody with your really cool flashlight, it's got to be dark. Why? Because the sun pales. I mean, your your flashlight pales in comparison to the sun. There's just no competition. It's not happening. Can you imagine when Jesus comes in all of his glory, and all of the millions and billions of angels, and all the light and all the brightness, somehow it seems at that moment that the sun went out. That's going to be amazing. And perhaps the verse that sums up the fact it's literal, personal, visible, audible, comes with the resurrection, is, is one of our favorites here, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself, personal, will descend from heaven with a shout, audible, with a voice, audible, of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And I don't think it's going to be da, 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 da. And the dead in Christ will rise First. And then it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Friends, this is going to be glorious. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to be fantastic. This is going to be climactic. And thus we shall always be with the Lord you watch watched enough Hallmark movies to know that at the end of a good story, they say, I'm sorry we we're ever apart. We're never leaving each other's side ever again. I'm not going anywhere. Education 305 says the angel who was his guardian from his earliest moment, talking about you and me, who was with him in the valley of the shadow of death, who marked his resting place, who was the first to greet him in the resurrection morning, what will it be to hold converse with him? Won't that be neat to meet your guardian angel? I imagine he'll have some stories to share, some of which you're very aware of, others not so much. And he'll say, wow, we did it. We did it. We're here. And you're going to say, I, 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 I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Are we here? How, has this happened? Is this real? I can't believe it. I can't. And he's saying, yes, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is. What will happen to my children? Great Controversy 641, it says, Little children are born by holy angels to their mother's arms. Friends long separated by death are united, never more to part. Second Selected Messages 260 says, But many of the little ones have no mother there. It's a sad thought. The angel receives the motherless and infants and conduct them to the tree of life. Another question some have, what about those too young to make a decision for Christ? Have you ever wondered about that? What's God going to do with them? How old do you have to be to be able to consciously know, yes, I'm giving my life to Christ? Selected Messages, Volume 3, starting on page 313, it says, I know some question whether the little children should be saved because they have had not test of character. I answer that the faith of the believing parents covers the children. Amen. And you might say, where's our biblical proof of that? As when God sent his judgments upon the firstborn of the Egyptians. you Remember that story? The father went out and he made the sacrifice and he followed everything. It had to be an unblemished lamb and he had to put it over the doorpost just like God said to do it. And he followed the directive to the T. And all the children were watching, especially that firstborn son is watching. The faith of the believing parents covers the children. What about my adult children? I know a prayer meeting this comes up without fail. Not just this prayer meeting, every prayer meeting across the land. Any other prayer requests? Let the Lord be with our kids. Be with my kids. Be with Johnny, Susie, Whoever. We raised them in the church, pastor. They're not here anymore. But you're still praying. And the church is still praying. And we keep praying. Proverbs 22, 6, we we claim often, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Does that mean they don't have freedom of choice? No, they do. But the wisest man that ever walked the earth said, You know, more often than not, if you do everything you know to do as a parent and if you keep praying for your child, give it enough time and they're very likely to return. So you just keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying. Child Guidance 569 says, the seed sown in tears and prayers may have seemed to be sown in vain, but their harvest is reaped with joy at the last, their children have been redeemed. May that be said of our children. With joy unutterable, parents see the crown, the robe, harp given to their children, and the days of hope and fear are ended. How many nights have you gone to sleep? Hoping, yet fearing, and so you keep praying. I pray. For us, that with unutterable joy, we will see this come to fruition. What will we look like? Well, in summary, we're going to look good. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be... Changed, hallelujah. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Philippians 3.21 says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, like it was intended? Manuscript. Page 76 says, Our personal identity is preserved in the resurrection, bearing the same individuality of features so that friend will recognize friend. Somehow there is something in you, something in me that God says, I'm going to preserve this thing that is hidden. It's tarnished by sin. It's tarnished by disease and all kinds of things. But once all of that is removed and I restore the individual to what I intended for them to be, and we will recognize each other, and we'll call each other by name. But then we'll say, but you look good. Though it may have been deformed, diseased, or disfigured in this mortal life, yet in their resurrected and glorified body, their individual identity will be perfectly preserved. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 3, 219. Changing over to Great Controversy 644, it says, all come forth from their graves, the same in stature as when they entered the tomb. This is interesting. Adam, who stands among the risen throng, is of lofty height and majestic form, in statue but little below the Son of God. He presents a marked contrast to the people of later generations. In this one respect is shown the great degeneracy of the race, but all arise with the freshness and vigor of eternal youth. So, we're all going to have short man, short woman complex. I don't care how tall you are, Adam's up there. But it says Christ came to restore that which had been lost. He will change our vile bodies and fashion them into his glorious body. The mortal, corruptible form, devoid of comeliness, once polluted with sin, becomes perfect, beautiful, and immortal. All blemishes and deformities are left in the grave, restored to the tree of life. In the long lost Eden, the redeemed will grow up to the full stature of the race and its primeval glory. As a right, I've stopped growing. I'm the tallest right until I made Elizabeth a right. (laughs) But we don't talk about that. We don't go there. But the beauty of our message is I'm going to grow up into what God intended me to be. You can say amen later, Elizabeth. (laughs) That'll be a beautiful day. What assurance can we have today? Now we could preach a whole sermon on this, but I'm not going to. John 6, 40 and 47. He that believes on me hath everlasting life. I will raise him up. And the last day. Can we keep it that simple this morning? What do we have to look forward to? This is where it gets fun. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree, which were the healing of the nations. I still remember Pastor Ferguson preaching on this verse and talking about a peach, wasn't it? And you have that ripe peach. I mean, we're not talking about that crunchy store-bought piece of junk. We're talking about you just, it just falls right into your hand. And I still remember his description as you bite into it and it runs down your arm. Do you remember him preaching that sermon? And we're going to have a different fruit every month. I mean, you you, you taste a real strawberry, a real blueberry, a real anything, a real mango. Some of you know what what, what we're talking about. And anything that you've tasted is garbage. Might as well be a white crunchy peach for all we know compared to what this will be. Anyway, I digress. And there shall be no more curse. Beautiful. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. That'll be a beautiful day. There shall be no more night there. There They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. I like some of these depictions. But can you imagine the wonders of this world recreated? The beauties that many of us have beheld underwater. I recognize those fish, I've seen them before in real life. But to have this earth made new, to spend eternity with Jesus, to have Him be surrounded by children. And to go through the various animals. And, and right now, we, we look through binoculars. We go to the zoo, as Frank said. How about that tiger or that lion or whatever? And it just crawls in your lap. And it's just a baby and, and the monkey. And maybe he's picking around in your ear or whatever. And you're laughing and giggling and having a ball. I know some of my best memories are encounters with nature. And the encounter might be that they're pretty close but certainly not this close. And God will tell us all about it. Now turn his paw over. Let me tell you why I made him this way. And look at this feature here. And look at this thing there. Scratch behind his ears. He really likes that. But this perhaps is one of my favorite pictures as of late. As James doesn't walk anymore over this past year. And we have one of the Tryon's golden retrievers, so I guess that fits too. And we used to imagine the angel bringing the baby now we imagine the boy just running i mean if he's able james will turn eighth in about a month he's going to run and it's going to be neat to see and it'll make heaven that much sweeter now we don't know how much time left we have with james he seems to have taken a turn he's on hospice now he's losing weight Even just in the last few days, we've seen changes. It could be days, it could be weeks, we don't know. This morning, I was a little bit of a mess. As Elizabeth gave me another update, I said, how's James doing this morning after I came downstairs? And she told me, and we just held each other and we cried. That ugly cry, been through that a couple times already this morning. And the thought that kept replaying in my mind is how much I love to come to church as a family of six. And it's a real possibility that this may be the last Sabbath, that we're here all six. Because as he deteriorates, I don't know that he'll keep coming to church. I'm not sure how good of an option that will be even next week. But we have the blessed hope, friends. We have the promise of a better day. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. He's saying, you can't even imagine how incredible it's going to be. No artist can depict anything good enough. Early writings, 288 says, Then I saw Jesus lead the redeemed company to the gate of the city, and he laid hold of the gate... And swung it back on its glittering hinges and bade the nations that had kept the truth enter in. Within the city there was everything to feast the eye, rich glory that beheld everywhere. Language is altogether, she writes, too feeble to attempt a description of heaven. As the scenes rise before me, I am lost in amazement carried away with a surpassing splendor and excellent glory i lay down the pen and exclaimed oh what love what wondrous love the most exalted language fails to describe the glory of heaven or the matchless depths of a savior's love and i feel sorry for her because she had to see it and oftentimes as she was coming out of vision she would say it's so dark it's so dark It's so dark. But friends, that's what we have to look forward to. This world isn't our home. We're just passing through. Our eternity is going to be spent somewhere else. So friends, today the choice is ours. I think in the verse, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because that's a day I don't want to miss. That's a splendor I don't want to sidestep. That's an experience with the family I don't want to just say, ah, it's not worth it, never mind. Of course it's worth it. Anything we could possibly go through in this life is worth it for that. When all things are made new. And then when we see Jesus' face, and he says, welcome. I can't wait to show you what i prepared just for you, Dave. And I'm so, so, so glad you're here. I've prayed for you. I've interceded for you. I've forgiven you. And that's all in the past. Today we look to the future. And the future looks really bright. I pray that all of us will be ready on that day. For no other reason than because we've been united With Jesus Christ. We've surrendered everything on the altar. We prayed, Lord, search my heart and try me. If there's anything wicked in me, purge it. By your grace, help me get rid of it so I can be with you and with your people on that day. Dear Heavenly Father, our hearts, all of us, long for that day when you come. To take us home. The climax of the salvation plan of eternal life realized, of the relationship with you restored. Lord, by your Holy Spirit and by your grace, bring us into such tight communion with you each and every day moment by moment that no matter what this world brings we will be faithful to our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ who has promised to come and it's in his name we pray Amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio